0: with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. Joining me today is a personal trainer, uh, a fitness, healing, and recovery coach, s- trauma specialist, author, speaker, and all-around really heavy lifter. <laughs> this is <laughs> Lara Kudari. Welcome to Live On Purpose Radio, Laura.
1: Hi, thank you for having me, Dr. Paul.
0: You're a heavy lifter. I mean, you I, lift heavy things.
1: I do. I lift heavy things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, the title of your book, I'm, I'm kind of rifting off of that, obviously. Lifting Heavy Things is the title of your book. And this caught my attention, Laura, because you also have created some applications that are both analogy and metaphor, but also very literal when it comes to lifting heavy things and what that has to do with trauma recovery. Right. Fascinated by this. And you were kind enough to send me a copy of your book that I've been able to review before we had this conversation today. Would you share with our audience just a little bit about your story and why lifting heavy things has become such a prominent part of what you're doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so like you said, I am a personal trainer and a strength coach and a trauma practitioner, um, and I blend all of that together. But I, you know, I'm not uh, your typical trainer. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, naturally gravitate towards this. I wasn't an athlete uh, in high school or anything like that. I really didn't want to have anything to do with the gym or my body, but I had a bad back Um uh, and so I actually started strength training seven years after the doctor told me to. <laughs> I walked around with a lot of pain for seven years and um, at 27. And I realized like uh, that it was uh, okay. I, I liked it enough to show up and do it because I wasn't in pain. Um, and it took many years, but I eventually really fell in love with it. Um, And I found that it helped with my self-esteem and it just made me feel good about being in my body. And it really was just added to my general quality of life Mm. outside of that experience though, I, um, I experienced an acute trauma and subsequently Mm. developed PTSD and I started using the gym as a maladaptive way, like a not healthy way of trying to cope with the world, and I was trying to turn myself kind of into a machine because mm-hmm. I realized I could get really strong. And so I just and really, I was doing very aggressive sports by this time. I was doing Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, so both of those are barbell sports, mm-hmm. um, and then karate. And I was training ten times a week, um, and there are only seven days in a There's week, no, so you can I do was that just
0: math. Doing math, Laura. <laughs>
1: Um, and, uh, you know, it was that sort of, it was seen as discipline and I was getting like really cut and really lean. And so people were really celebrating it. And very few people were asking, why are you training like this? Um, My therapist did ask me, um, anyway, I wound up getting hurt. My back went out, (laughs) actually, I came full circle. And that was really scary to me because it was actually a very severe back injury. And now I had lost this place where I felt good and safe when I needed it the most. Um, and so I had to come up with a way to, you know, first it was a lot of physical therapy, um, but I wanted to get back to a place where I could be back in the gym and do this thing I loved. I didn't want to feel, I felt like that was being taken from me. Um, And I couldn't find, I was Googling trauma-informed personal training, uh, anything. And I couldn't find anything. Um, I also had read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, which Mm -hmm. was brand new at the time, uh, and talked about some body-based alternative ways to work with trauma. And I just started doing my own research and finding people who would work with me and talk with me and I came up with a way to get myself back into the gym. What I didn't see coming was not only did I find a way to get back into the gym that was safe feeling um, and allowed me to go back to strength training and do it in a way that I could sustain and feel supported as opposed to um, this less healthy way it had turned into. I actually found that it was supporting me in my work in therapy Mm. and in my way that I was moving about the world and relating to others, um, outside of therapy as well. And I realized I was, this is a big deal. Um, and I decided that I was going to take this and share it Mm
0: -hmm. with as many
1: people as I could.
0: (laughs) Wow. You know, you mentioned Dr. Vander Kolk. I spent a couple of days with him a few years ago in a training Mm around trauma and trauma recovery. And it really got me thinking about this connection that we have. We exist in our bodies. Mm -hmm. We're like in here, right? And sometimes we don't tune in. In fact, I noticed this throughout your book as you pause and invite us as the readers to, to check in. With our body and to see where we are with that, because sometimes our body is trying to tell us something and we ignore it or we blow by it or we uh, we don't tune in or check in, as you said in your book. I think there's some real value there. What uh, what has been your experience with that, Laura, as you've um, you've shared with us that you started to discover a connection here? between what you were doing physically and, and lifting heavy things, which which also became instructive and therapeutic and even restorative and curative to you as you were working through some trauma recovery.
1: Sure. Yes. So in order to go back to strength training um, in a way that was safe for my back, I had to turn it into an embodied movement practice um, which means Basically, that I had to really pay attention to what my body was doing while I was lifting the weight or performing the exercise, right? I had to not look at what it looked like in the mirror or think how cool I looked or not cool I looked or whatever, think about lunch. I had to really pay attention to what muscles were moving through the movement and how they were doing it. Um, That was the only way I was going to be able to get back to training. I had been training all that time and kind of going in and out. I, I moved well because I did know how to pay attention to the movements, but when it became this more compulsive thing, it wasn't about being in my body. It was about turning into a machine, which we're not, we're, we're people. Um, so I was really disembodied when I was training like that. So it was about coming back. And the thing about an embodied movement practice is that I, I i see it as a mind as a moving meditation a moving mindfulness practice right in a mindfulness practice which you know with popularity of apps and things like that we know maybe you focus on your breath when you're doing a seated mindfulness practice and the object of your focus is your breath and when you get distracted that's when the work happens and you don't judge yourself you just come back to your breath Well, in a moving meditation, a moving mindfulness practice, the object of focus is going to be something in your body that's moving. And when you notice you've been distracted, the practice is to not be judgmental and to come back to it. Just bring it back. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was just practicing, paying attention to what was happening in my body while under stress. I think a lot of the time we don't realize stress is neutral, stress is a thing. We have good stress and bad stress if you wanna put a word on it. And most of us would consider exercise good for you. So you would maybe consider it a good stress because it's a stress. We use stress to get stronger. We use stress to get faster. That's how exercise specialists, they talk about things like progressive overload, Um, meaning you're putting stress on your system. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I'm under stress in a way that I have deemed good, quote unquote, and I'm practicing staying with my body while under this stress, what happened was I then was able to stay with my body when I was talking about my experiences in therapy. And I was able to notice when my back would start to hurt, for example, when we'd be talking about something. And I could say, you know, I could pause and say, I'm noticing that my back is really starting to tighten up and hurt here while we're talking about this and there was room then to start making connections between that behavior and which was the back tightening and either the you know affect our feelings or mm-hmm. memories or meaning and start to unpack things by connecting all of these things together cuz like you said we are in our bodies right? Our our minds are in our bodies, like we move around the world in our bodies. So that's part of the experience. And there's so much information. I mean, our bodies are taking in, like our nervous system takes in so much information all the time, which we're not even aware of. Um, And it sends those signals up to our brain, right? Mm -hmm. And then our body knows how to respond. Well, that's a lot of information. You can tap into that and start to really realize like not what you're, you think you're feeling, but what you're feeling. <laughs> Cause sometimes what you think you're feeling is loaded with all sorts of shoulds and judgments. Whereas what you're feeling is just what you're feeling.
0: And when we, when we do that, Laura, I've noticed when we think We're feeling certain things or we get too much into our head and all those interpretations and all of the the noise, if you will, that that contributes to our interpretation of that. And then we we end up doing things sometimes with our bodies or to our bodies uh, that are unhealthy, uh, not helpful, either psychologically or physically. And I don't know that there's that big of a difference between psychological and physical right. health and well-being. And I, that's part of what I'm getting from this conversation and from your book, that we've, we are really well-served by checking in with that, by tuning into that connection that, that we have between our emotional and our psychological lives and our physical, our movement, our body life. Right. Right. You've got some practices. Now, I, I was just thinking also, gosh, we should probably do a disclaimer here, because I don't think it's a good idea for all of us who are listening here today yes. to run out to the gym and grab the heaviest dumbbells <laughs> no. we could find. She, she said, lifting heavy things, let's just and go after it. That would be contrary to what you're suggesting we do.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yes.
0: So um, disclaimer: We're not telling you to do that.
1: No, I, my the whole point is to meet yourself where you're at, and you wouldn't start out just by picking up. I always say you wouldn't start out just by like picking up a huge barbell. Uh, you yeah. generally would start with picking up a small dumbbell, or maybe even working with body weight. Um, the that part is where we're getting into the more meta. What's heavy for you? What's heavy for you and what's heavy for me are yes. different.
0: Right. And whatever it is for you is okay. Oh, yes. That's where we remove the judgment and check in with ourselves. If you're asking yourself to lift something that's heavy for me mm-hmm. <laughs> or that's heavy for Lara, you're probably going to hurt yourself. Right. So, so we have to really listen to and tune into our body in order to do that. Laura, when we come back from this break, I would love to have you Um, maybe share with us some of the starting points since we've acknowledged that you don't want to just jump to the olympic (laughs) size barbells here Um, share with us some of the practical things can we get into that in our second half absolutely folks this is laura kudari at live on purpose radio we'll be right back DrPaulJenkins.com, and we're back. Lara Kudari today at Live On Purpose Radio. I'm enjoying this conversation, Lara, because you have taken something that is very visual, very physical, very seeable, and related it to something that's a little more slippery, a little more ethereal, a little, a, a little more. Um, hidden, I think. And that that's the way that we deal with trauma, but it's our body, as you said earlier, that we interface with the world through. And, and that's true on a lot of different levels that we may not even be aware of. As, as we got into the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about, okay, don't just run to the gym and start grabbing the biggest barbell that you can find. That wouldn't be wise. And I overemphasize that because obviously you're going to hurt yourself if you do that, but there's some preparatory work that you recommend that people do. Where would you encourage us to start? If this is really resonating with us, where would you encourage us to start? How do we do it?
1: Yes. Um, so I encourage folks to start by, um, doing as you said a little preparation because the fact is is bringing this into your life means creating a change even if it's a change to your budget because you have to spend money on a gym membership or your schedule because you have to take an hour to go move a couple times a week um, or your mindset because you have a lot of you have a history of not feeling comfortable moving or showing up to the gym you know how do we How do we work with all of that um, so that you can create the practice that's going to support you? Because I don't always, I actually, and throughout the book, I talk about this. It doesn't have to be lifting weights. It can be any movement practice. I think you can do this with any exercise practice. So finding the right practice and then, and sort of setting yourself up for success. And the first place to start is coming up with your goals Um, and, you know, figuring out what are the reasons why you want to move. And it can be very, and it can be all of the reasons, right? What they can be very practical. I need to carry my groceries home. I want to be able to get up off the floor with my grandkid. I want to ride bikes with my spouse. You know, these are all really everyday things that some people want to do. And they can also be, I want to be able to feel more grounded in my body. I feel really disconnected from my body. I used to like to work out and then I was hurt and I found it really hard to get back to it. I have chronic fatigue syndrome. And the doctor says, now's the time for me to start working out. There are a million reasons. Coming up with your reasons and then turning them into goals is something I talk about in the book. Um, goals, take your reasons and make them um, you know, there's an acronym, SMART, it's specific, yeah. measurable, uh, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Um, and so it's just so that. Those kind of goals, those really specific goals um, have been found over and over again over the decades um, to help increase motivation, sustain motivation, um, uh, help with self-esteem issues. So having these goals can really support you in making a practice that you can stick with. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next part is determining once you know your goals, what you need to do this workout right you don't need necessarily a huge heavy kettlebell or a membership to a gym even maybe you've realized that for you it's going for a walk or a hike you live you live in the mountains of utah right so Mm -hmm. maybe hiking is a guessing hiking something available to you um so you know determining what it is you need um and it and I have a whole list in the book of things, including showers. Some people don't realize that they actually need access to shower after their exercise so they can go to work. And barbell clubs often don't have showers, at least in New York City, because space is so limited. Um, So that's something to think about. And then um, your resources, which are all the things you can call on when you are pursuing something, things that support you, things, people, pets, practices, and to have that list handy so that when you are struggling or when things are going good and you want to share it with somebody, you know where to turn to, to have that support because that support helps keep you going too.
0: Thank you for that overview. It really opens my eyes to look when, when you're talking about, your reasons for doing it. Sometimes we are just oblivious to our own reasons. Right. Of course. Or we pick something that's really superficial and doesn't dig to the depth of what our real reasons are. Right. Um, we might say, oh, because I just want to be in shape. Okay, well, could Why? we be any more vague? <laughs> <laughs> right? But when you mention, for example, the grandkids, um I thought about my grandkids mm-hmm. and how I want to be that grandfather that can go on a hike up through the mountains with my, with my grandkids. They can get down on the floor and wrestle around with them instead right. of grabbing my back and saying, oh, I'm too old. Yes. Right? Um, and that's digging a little deeper than maybe we're used to doing Uh, I just wanted to add my two cents to that, that, hey, folks, we're probably going to have to do a little more work than we wanted to right? in the preparation, but not as much as we fear. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And getting clear about that why will help us to sustain all of the hard hows (laughs) that are coming, but the payoffs are worth it.
1: Right. You know, when I started, like I said, I started, I did not want to go to the gym, but uh, my why was I don't want to be in pain more than I don't want to go to the gym. And so, Mm. you know, every time my session would come around after work, I'd be like, oh, okay. (laughs) Because I knew (laughs) that maybe I didn't want to go to the gym, but I knew that even more, I didn't want to be in pain anymore. And so I went to the gym. And I stayed curious. And that's the thing, like if you can keep showing up and stay curious, even if you don't love it at first, you'll eventually probably, you know, and I do talk about in the book ways to sort of figure out the things that you will wind up falling in love with. Like no one would have guessed when I started strength training that what I was going to do one day was point to an enormous man on the weightlifting platform and go, I want to do that.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs>
1: um you know, you have to stay curious, but you have to start somewhere.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, Laura, I have to ask you this because it caught my attention in your book. And I know it's something that you're passionate about. Talk to us for a minute about sharing. Yes. Sometimes we we don't share in the ways that serve us the best. What are you talking about there?
1: Um, I am talking about actually sharing the narrative of your trauma.
0: Of the trauma, the story about Good. how I was hurt.
1: Right. I um, <clears throat> One of the things I very pointedly don't do, I'm, I point out that I don't do this all the time, mm. is I actually have never publicly shared my own personal trauma story. Um, mm. I wrote a whole book filled with stories, personal stories. I, um, I write a lot. I am a personal essayist, um, and I write and talk about trauma and I do this, um, in part to demonstrate that you can ask for help and be of service without overstepping your own boundaries and sharing something when it doesn't feel necessarily safe to. It is important Mm. when you've experienced a trauma to share, to confide in somebody safe and get that response back. Yes. Somebody who's going to meet you where you're at and not judge you and be supportive. Um, But, you know, we don't always know it's when you start sharing your story very publicly or putting it on social media Even if not, maybe great, you share, you know, me too, everybody started sharing. And Mm -hmm. hopefully you were met, you know, if you shared like that with support, but it could have even felt really bad when you put it out there and kind of never felt great that you did. Like your body actually didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a sign that you overstepped your boundary. And I think it's really important as we have this culture of really, sharing a lot especially on social media and um, there seems to be a real market always has been for the human pain story Uh, not to share it unless you feel ready. Uh, In the book, I talk about different questions to ask yourself and different ways to tune in and notice like, is this safe? Is this going to serve me? And also, is it going to serve other people? When you share an unprocessed trauma story, the person who's receiving it, if they're not prepared for that, it can be hard for them as well.
0: Which is an excellent point. And I've noticed this in some of the Shall we call it oversharing, perhaps, yeah. where, or, or unprepared or unintentional sharing? Because I agree that there are times when it is fully appropriate to share in a way that, that serves all parties. Right.
1: Um,
0: you said unprocessed <laughs> uh, as, as you were talking about that. Sometimes uh, we might have a tendency to go to social media and overshare in an attempt to heal or process our own Mm -hmm. trauma. That's probably not the best use of that platform. Right. There may be some work you get to do before that to get yourself to a point where the sharing could be for a very clear purpose or intention uh, that serves all parties involved. Um, and obviously we can't dictate what that looks like for every individual, but I think what we're getting here today uh, from, from your sharing, Laura, is there's some preparatory work to be done. Yes. We get to check in with ourselves and yeah. our, our own stress and trauma and boundaries and everything that contributes to that and then take a very planful approach toward, toward that healing and recovery journey.
1: Absolutely. I, you know, as you were saying, it's like, Oh my gosh, it's a parallel to starting the practice. You, you have to really look at your reasons you have to, to, you know, really prepare and you need to be resourced. You need to be very well resourced to do that. Um, So there you go. You drew that parallel. Thank you.
0: Laura, there's (laughs) so many parallels and you've done it beautifully in your book. Also Uh, again, let's go back to the book for a moment, lifting heavy things and again, folks, that is by Laura Kudari K-H-O-U-D-A-R-I. And you can find this book wherever you find your books. Yes. <laughs> In our online digital world. It used to, when I started the podcast, Laura, it was always, where can people find your book? And nowadays, everybody just says, Amazon. <laughs> oh, go to my website, look it up, you'll find it. Laura, you've also got a website and some other resources that are available for our listeners. How can how can they tune into those resources with you?
1: Yes, um, if you go to my website, uh, which is my name, Laura Kudari, uh, khoudar dot um, I have uh, I have links to everything. Links to the book. You can sign up for my yes. newsletter, and I also do um, provide. Uh, down, free downloadable resources. Uh, I've been working on uh, workbooks to go uh, with that exercise I was just talking about, you know, setting up yes. your goals. Um, and so I want to make that available to all of your listeners. And uh, I am also, even though we were talking about social media, I am on social media. <laughs> I'm very findable. Again, it's just my name on Instagram and on Twitter. And I'm also on Facebook, and that's a weird one. It's Laura KCPT.
0: KCPT. <laughs> there you go. At, your name is going to make you findable pretty much across any platform people are looking for. Again, the website, Laura K H O U D A R I K-H-O-U-D-A-R-I.com. You can find the link to the book there, Lifting Heavy Things, and the other resources that uh, Laura has made available to all of us. Laura, thank you so much for your contributions here today at Live On Purpose Radio.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Folks, you've heard it. You've probably been inspired to do it. So now is the time to go live on purpose.